name is Sasha Wheeler, and this is the Transactions Podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking to my friend, Ariel Gordon, who actually came up with the name of this podcast. Ariel is a transgender activist, a barista at Starbucks in New York, and she runs a blog called Trans and Caffeinated that deals with trans-related issues. In this interview, she shares her story, and we talk about the importance of representation and acceptance, as well as passing and the importance of accepting yourself. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Hi, I'm Arielle Gordon. I'm 24 years old. Um, I work as a barista for Starbucks Reserve, and I am an out proud transgender woman. Um, I have known that I'm trans since I was about four years old. I looked up at my mother and I said, mom, I want to be a girl when I grow up. Um, and she looked at me and she laughed because she just thought I was being cute. Um, but I think my whole life I kind of knew who I was, even if others around me couldn't see it. Uh, as I grew up, it just got more and more obvious that I wasn't like those around me. Like, even from the time I was little, I was hanging out with girls and I wanted to do girl things and I wanted to play dress up and dance and sing and play with dolls and all of the things that like little girls were told they were supposed to do just because like I connected with that part of myself from the time I was really little, um, which is a super like stereotypical trans narrative um, and, and is obviously not everybody's narrative um but for me it was very much that that like I always I always had a concept of being female even before I knew what being transgender was mm-hmm. um that, does that make sense yeah oh um it's and then as, weird as I, that... what, what was that <laughs> uh, it's weird that gender is so deeply ingrained in ideas oh i know it brings into question gender roles like gender roles aren't really tied shouldn't really be tied to a gender yeah yeah well and for me it was less so that like it was it was less so the fact that i wanted to do those things that i feel speaks to my identity and like being conscious of it from a young age and more the fact that like I identified with this group of people and because I identified with this group of people, I wanted to do the things that they were told they were supposed to do because I connected with my femaleness rather than connecting with those things just because based on some false pretense that like girls are more predisposed to connect with playing with dolls than other people. Okay. Um, Were you going to ask something? No, uh, that's just... uh... That perspective makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I got older, it became more clear to me. I mean, as time went on, especially when I got to adolescence, my friends started getting their periods and I got super dysphoric because suddenly my friends were having one very distinct experience and I was having a very contrasting experience and could not quite understand why I was feeling left out of something because at that point, like 
I had just learned the word transgender when I was 13. I had just learned that trans people existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I also learned that people often didn't like trans people just because they didn't understand our community, um, it made it very hard to accept who I was. And I tried to deny it. And I tried to explain away my discomfort at the fact that like as I was getting older my experience as someone read as male was just diverging further from the Mm -hmm. experiences of people who were read as female um and I got super depressed as a teenager because I couldn't understand what I was going through fully and Mm -hmm. no one was affirming my identity um I didn't have others around me that were you know, whose experience that I could resonate with. And as a kid, there were no trans people in media, no trans, you know, writers that I heard about, no, you know, in general, just very little trans representation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really hard to just like go through life, not seeing anybody that looks like you, anybody whose experience specifically matches yours in some particular way um Mm -hmm. the first time i ever saw any trans representation in media was not even a transgender person it was just a trans character on the show ugly betty and the character was played by a cisgender person and the writer was cisgender so even though like when i saw that i kind of you know i resonated with that i i saw that character and the concept struck a chord with me it wasn't accurate representation. So it wasn't actually something that affirmed me. Um, And I think that's something that separates like trans youth today from trans youth when we were growing up because they have those role models. Like we can be those role models. We can be that representation for them and they can see that this is something that's okay to be. Or even before that, like this is something that exists. This is something that is, possible to be yeah when i first discovered it it was hidden in back corners of the internet uh, mostly anonymous blogs on tumblr and stuff like Mm -hmm. that that is where i found actual trans representation too i feel like it was like when tumblr was in the very early days it was like a safe haven for people struggling with some sort of stigmatized identity, like for trans people, for people struggling with mental illness, um, any sort of stigmatized identity. It became this sort of like safe haven where you could find pockets on that forum where you could finally see your experience represented because there was some level of anonymity that came with, having a Tumblr account where it was like, yeah, obviously you can find someone's blog and see like, oh, this is where this post originated. But you're not necessarily tracing it to a real life person. You're tracing it to like, oh, this is whatever, whatever dot Tumblr dot com. Yeah. Um, and that made people feel a little more safe to explore who they are and be able to, you know, find themselves. Um, within the safety and comfort of a semi-anonymous forum. Yeah. So I do have a question. When you found the term transgender, was there anybody that you talked to about that? 
to try and work through it or were you still just processing it all on your own? Um, I mean, I asked my mom what it was. Like, I was like, what does this mean? And she was like, oh, well, sometimes people feel like they're born in the wrong body. So they get surgery and it makes them feel better. And like, it was super, obviously that is a super like brief explanation and definitely not like an overarching trans experience because there's so much more to trans experience than that. And trans experiences can be so vastly different and diverse. Um, but that was kind of the only thing I, I knew was like this one trans character in this TV show who did that. And then she was herself and it made her, you know, happy for once. Um, Mm -hmm. but as soon as I started researching it, the only things I found were, people making fun of trans people. Like, you know, I, I was born the same, like the year after friends went on the air and an entire character existed who was trans, who was, well, who was likely trans anyway, just for the rest of the cast to make fun of them. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I knew. And so I didn't even feel like I could talk to anyone about it. I didn't know anybody who was out I couldn't find evidence of people who were trans people who were happy or, or fulfilled. Um, I just, I don't think that representation really existed in any sort of prominent way on the internet or anywhere I looked. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until like the last five or six years where I feel like trans stories are actually being shared consistently. Yeah. Yeah, I remember spending hours watching those transition timeline videos on YouTube and just trying to understand how people managed to go through all of that. Yeah, well, I I did something very similar. Like when I was first, first actually accepting that I was trans and that like I couldn't deny it anymore, I started looking on, I would just Google like beautiful trans women mm-hmm. just to see that we existed just to see that there like were trans women who looked to like what society perceives as beautiful um at least through like a very cis normative lens that society looks at people through um and for me at the time when I first started transitioning like the goal very much was to pass it was to for people to perceive me as cisgender and for nobody to know that I was assigned male at birth. And my priorities have definitely changed as time gone on because I, at this point, just want, I don't want to have to face harassment when I walk down the street. Like, I don't want people to look at me and be like, that's a trans person. Mm -hmm. But I, I want some like happy medium between that where like I can continue to live in places where I can be very out and very proud And my friends and family and everyone I interact with who I want to know that I'm transgender can know that I'm transgender. Um, I don't always want to have to come out to people, although that Mm -hmm. is, has been my experience for the past few years is that like people don't, people don't read me as trans until I come out. Um, But my priority now is really just to like advocate, advocate for members of my community by being as out and unapologetic about my identity as I possibly can be so that, you know, people 
growing up can see that it is possible to be this and be happy and be unapologetic and be all the things that I never thought trans people could be because society was telling me that we couldn't. Yeah. So what were the experiences you had that led you to that change in thinking? Um, I mean, I think, I think it was a sequence of things. I think I had to be really like knocked down to rock bottom before I could possibly find my way to that level of pride. Um, so what I, I finally came out as transgender when I was at boarding school in Virginia Mm-hmm. Um, in 2013, um, I sat down in front of all of my peers and staff and said, and literally just told them I am transgender. I am going to transition. I want to have bottom surgery, like word vomiting because I was super anxious. Um, and my school therapist responded by outing me to my family and telling them I was doing it for attention, mm-hmm. um, that they shouldn't believe me, that, Um, They would be inhibiting my therapeutic progress by supporting me in my identity. Um, And I spent the next two years at that school trying to fight to be able to be myself, to be able to live my truth, Mm -hmm. um, which I had only just started feeling empowered to claim. Um, And they spent that entire time fighting against me um like when as soon as teachers started calling me by my name and my pronouns they emailed the teachers and told them that they would basically be fired if they kept doing that um like intentionally stood in my way of any form of validation that I had found um did that school have any sort of religious ties or any reasoning yeah. that you can think of behind that? I mean, other than being in Virginia while HB2 was going on, like, I mean, I think okay. that was, it wasn't necessarily a religious school. I mean, it was in the South, so there were a bunch of religious folks. Yeah. Um, But it was more so, it was just a, a very transphobic area while there was transphobic legislation while people were actively espousing transphobia and actively calling trans women men in dresses and referring to us as threats and putting their little girls in danger and you know these were this was the rhetoric that was was Mm -hmm. and in large parts of the country still is being espoused about us yeah um so i don't think it was necessarily that they were religious so much as they were just feeding into this bigotry and this fear of all of these things that, you know, the conservative media had labeled trans women to be. Um, And I think they also didn't know how to handle it. They didn't like, they had boys and girls houses. They had a boys dress code and a girls dress code. They had all these things that were rooted in the idea that men and women are drastically different and that, you know, a successful man is one way and a successful woman is another way. And 
I threatened that and I threatened the status quo and they didn't want to accommodate that. So instead they felt like it would just be easier to sweep it under the rug and hope that it would just go away. Yeah. Um, and clearly it didn't. And th- I mean, this part is sort of like simultaneously a slap in the face, but also kind of validating like in the time since the people that were directly responsible for me not being allowed to transition and me not being allowed to use my name and pronouns at school have reached out and said that they're so proud of me for transitioning and they're so happy that I'm happy and living authentically and free um, and don't admit their direct role in this, even though I know for a fact they were involved and actually actively deny any involvement in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just, I'm taking the win because I proved these people wrong and mm-hmm. they know it and I know it. And even if they don't know that I know it, I at least can sleep at night hoping that I change the way they'll treat trans kids in the future. And yeah. maybe they won't. And maybe it hasn't changed a damn thing. And maybe they think that I'm an exception to a rule. But I like to think that me living authentically in spite of everything they believed about me and everything they said to me is going to in some way affect the way that they think from this point on. Hopefully. Yeah. Um, so you, you had asked um, how I sort of changed that line of thinking. Um, so after leaving Carlbrook, my first priority was to find like a community of people, but also some place I could work um, where my identity would be validated, where I could f- feel free to explore my gender without anyone putting me through that again, without anyone telling me like, no, you can't use your name. No, you can't use your pronouns. Um, mm-hmm. So when I got out, I went on the internet and I looked up trans-affirming employers and the first two places that came up were Trader Joe's and Starbucks. Yeah. Um, And so I applied to both of them um, and I ended up at Starbucks where I found an amazing community of LGBTQ people. Um, Unfortunately, I was the only trans person in Mm -hmm. the first store that I was in, but there were a lot of queer folks um, who I who validated me and like I started coming out to people very quickly um sort of one mm-hmm. by one saying you know I think I'm trans I think I might transition just kind of like not wanting to definitively say these were things I was doing because I was scared of what would happen if they reacted badly um yeah. but then everybody I told was super supportive was super positive was super affirming and that kind of gave me the push I needed. Um, I had stopped going to therapy because my therapist wasn't invalidating, but he just didn't know anything about trans people. Um, So the only source of support that I actively had was the people who worked at that first Starbucks I worked at. Um, And so eight months into working in coffee, I came out as trans. I started transitioning. Um, And at that time, I was 
you know, I, I still had very little connection with other trans people. Um, and everything I'd read put such an emphasis on passing, put such an emphasis on what you look like. And like, even to this day, you know, the, at least from cisgender folks, the pressure on trans people is to pass. And realistically, we are unfortunately taken more seriously by a cis normative society when we are read as cisgender because we don't force them to rethink norms of what like a woman is supposed to look like or what a man is supposed to look like. Um, you know, like people who will read as cisgender don't force them to think outside the binary system. We just, it, it is different and it is definitely easier for trans people who are read as the gender that they identify with. Um, yeah, but I also definitely. think that's bullshit. Yeah, I think that's such bullshit to expect people to conform when or our whole identity is sort of transgressing what we were assigned and saying, like, hey, even though I was assigned this, like, I can have an identity completely outside of this. And yeah, um, I just I find it very limiting that the emphasis is so strongly on passing because plenty of people can't or don't want to look exactly like cisgender people are supposed to look and don't want to have a part of an, our identity a race that we fought so long to celebrate like I fought really hard to be able to celebrate my trans identity and cis normativity demands that I try to look as cisgender as possible was sort of, which sort of like gets in my way of trying, of being able to actively celebrate my trans identity because I'm read as cisgender. Yeah. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, so the longer I was out, like initially I didn't tell anyone I was trans if they didn't read me as trans. Like I didn't want to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. I began being consistently read as female um about eight months into my transition which is in my experience a lot more a lot more quickly than a lot of other trans women I know um did you have a question yeah no uh that's just really quick yeah um I mean I I had very like stereotypically feminine features to begin with Mm-hmm. Um, like I have pretty high cheekbones. I have pretty like curvy hips. Um, it, I, I always kind of had those features. So I, I had a lot to work with. Um, and then as soon as I bought, um, breast forms and started wearing a bra and like sort yeah. of feminized my figure in that way, I started being read as female, mm-hmm. um, which made me really happy because it was a lot more comfortable um, but then slowly my trans identity started getting erased after fighting so long to be able to come out and transition. Like this part of mm-hmm. myself that I had always been trying to be okay with was now sort of being stripped away from me because people were, were reading me as cis. Um, and I started, yeah. kind of started to resent that. Um, and over time I just put less and less of an emphasis on passing, like, it still does make me feel dysphoric if people ever clock me, if people ever read me as trans, but that's mostly just because it makes me feel like I'm in danger. 
And a lot mm-hmm. of, you know, I, you know, I'm lucky I live in New York City, but a lot of places like when trans women are cocked as trans, we are in danger. Yeah. It's an unfortunate reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a lot harder in more conservative areas. Um, but even in New York City, like, I, I live in a pretty religiously conservative pocket of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend um, who, when she first moved to this area, was not read as cisgender and was harassed for being trans daily and felt afraid for her life. Um, and if that's the experience of trans women in Brooklyn, like think about the experience of, I mean, you don't even have to think like, you know, the experience yeah. of trans women in more conservative areas. You live that. Yeah. It's hard. It really is. I've heard so many conversations uh, about other trans people from people who didn't realize that I was also trans. Mm-hmm. Like, the level of harassment is just astounding. Yeah. Well, and people feel justified in it, too, which is the scariest yeah. part. Like, people... I mean, people feel justified in the harassment of cisgender women as well, but people feel this hatred and this fear towards people they read as trans because media and society has stoked this, all these false narratives about the danger that we put them in. Yeah. And it just puts us in this really awkward situation of having to, like, not only just try to go about our days and live authentically, but also fend off these, like, false accusations of just, like, trans, like, oh, like, you're not actually trans. You're just a man in a dress who wants to be in the same room as little girls, which is, like, where the fuck do they even get that first off? I mean, that was a thing about, like, people said that like gay people were actually just predators when you know gay rights were the um the part of the movement for lgbtq rights that we were in um back in like the 60s and 70s and that was the rhetoric rhetoric that was used against gay men was that they were you know actually just predators um and so maybe that's just you know conservative media's go-to um insult or go-to way to defame an entire group of people that they want society to hate yeah that seems to be a go-to move yeah uh, to create this idea that whoever you're against or whoever you want to turn people against is going to harm their children in some way mm-hmm. yeah you want they want people to fear us Um, And it means that before we go out there and try to, you know, feel successful, feel feel empowered, we also have to fight back against those false narratives. Yeah. So going back to Starbucks, where was the first shop that you started in? Um, So it was in Bergen County, New Jersey. Um, So that's where I grew up. Uh, um, Okay. That's where my family was. 
um, for the first 20 years of my life. And, and honestly, I lived in that area until I moved to Brooklyn two years ago. Okay. And um, you moved to Brooklyn moving from one Starbucks to another? Yeah. So I um, transitioned to – transitioned not in the trend sense, but in the, the Starbucks sense um, – from our like core sort of regular Starbucks brand to our reserve brand uh, while I was still living in Jersey. So I started working at a Starbucks reserve bar um, a couple towns over from where my first store was. And then when they were opening the Starbucks roastery in New York, I really wanted to work there. It sounded like a lot of fun. So I, and like a huge professional opportunity, um, Mm -hmm. And so I decided that while I was still going to college in northern New Jersey, I was going to move to Brooklyn and work at the roastery. Um, so I commuted two and a half hours to my la- a-, a day to my last semester of college mm-hmm. just so I could move to Brooklyn and work at the Starbucks Reserve Roastery. That's a lot. Yeah, that was intense. and That was, that was the busiest I'd ever been in my life. Yeah, because it was constantly going, going, going. Even when I wasn't like doing stuff, I was mm-hmm. commuting. Yeah. Um. But even like throughout, even for my first start, all the way up until now, like Starbucks has sort of been this like affirmational safe haven. Um. Because even for managers who aren't necessarily explicitly trans affirming themselves, the company mm-hmm. policies are so black and white on what is acceptable and is not acceptable in the workplace. Um, Yeah. And it's not always like perfectly executed, but because the expectations for management are laid out so explicitly, Mm -hmm. I find it's really, it's a lot easier to get managers to, to compel managers to be supportive and affirming of the trans community than it is based on other experiences I've heard of people in other workplaces. Like I proposed a trans literacy uh, workshop that I created and have now executed. Well, I'm about about to execute for the second and third time. And they have been super receptive to it. They keep asking me for more feedback. Um, They hung up the genderbred person diagram in their office. Like super, super supportive and want to hear what I have to say, which is so vastly different from the experience that I hear of other trans people in other workplaces. Yeah. Yeah, it's really difficult. And I've heard some, I've heard stories growing up in the South from other people at Starbucks that haven't had that experience. Yeah. And Uh I'm sure that A has gotten better in the past few years but also be like in a company so big there definitely are things that are able to slide under the radar yeah um especially when you're in an area where there are less people that are gonna have a problem with it yeah um but that being said like there are also a lot of areas that are conservative um where starbucks is sort of a progressive safe haven within yeah. that area. Um, Cause I have, well, you know, there are definitely some stories where even though it's Starbucks, people don't feel safe being themselves, especially mm-hmm. because of like who the customer base is um, or who some of the other baristas are. If they're, you know, if they are transphobic, but 
aren't necessarily actively discriminatory in the workplace, like it is a lot easier in those pockets to get away with it. Yeah. Um, but I've also heard a lot of stories of people who are in states like Oklahoma or Texas where it is well known that the Starbucks in town is the only pace, place that trans people can work without getting fired for being trans. And there's still, you know, 29 states where it's perfectly legal to fire someone when you find out that they're transgender, which yeah. is something that I don't think cisgender, like most cisgender people really know. Or mm-hmm. even all transgender people, like it is illegal to fire us in 29 U.S. states, and it's almost legal in another. Yeah. They're actually in um, not Maryland. Um, I think Iowa. I don't know one of one of those states. Um, they are moving to roll back workplace protections for trans people, so that we can be fired for being trans. Yeah. And then I saw you posted the other day about uh, states trying to pass the laws to make it illegal for doctors to treat underage trans kids. Oh my God. Yeah. And in Missouri, where I am now, they're trying to punish parents for seeking treatment for their trans kids. Well, and and they call it, um, they're calling it child abuse in some places. Like that is yeah. the narrative that's being used. Like, oh, it's child abuse to give your child hormones or to give them puberty blockers. But like, first off, the only thing being given to trans people under the age of 18 in most states is puberty suppressors. So you're not, you know, changing anything that is in any way irreversible about a person's body. You are just giving them time to be able to sign those informed consent forms when they're 18 years old and make that decision for themselves like parents aren't giving their kids at least in most days like hormones they're not able to because that's not legal in most states to give to people under the age of 18 but puberty blockers give trans kids at least a little solace to know that they're not going to go through the wrong puberty that you know if if I had taken that I wouldn't have to still be dealing with facial hair and still having to figure out how I'm gonna get it to stop growing yeah um and and that is something that a lot of people don't understand and even so even if parents were allowed to give their child hormones which I think they should be allowed to because according to every actual scientific experiment allowing trans kids to transition and live as their affirmed gender reduces rates of depression, reduces rates of suicide, reduces all sorts of mental illness. Um, But even without that, like to call it child abuse, to allow a child to be their authentic self is so absurd. And really the opposite is true. Like not allowing a trans kid to be themselves, not allowing me to transition when I was at boarding school that is abuse. Yeah. Yeah, it's always been so absurd to me that people try to say that hormone blockers are uh, permanently affecting somebody's life. Yeah, they are not. Once you stop taking them, and, you know, for even for trans women my age, if I stop taking my T-blockers, my testosterone comes back pretty immediately and I start feeling the effects 
the same is true for young trans kids. As soon as they stop taking those puberty blockers, those hormone blockers, the effects of whatever androgens they have in their system or whatever estrogen they have in their system starts taking hold. Yeah. So if at any point they decide like, oh, you know what? I'm not trans. Like there's no harm done. Yeah. All you did was give a child a little longer to find themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to Starbucks, so I, I'm still with Starbucks. It's been five years now um, since that first store. Um, but I also now have a public speaking career that's starting to take off. Um, I started a blog last summer called Trans Uncaffeinated, um, where I talk about, you know, my experience, uh, different topics about my personal journey. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm also speaking at a couple of different places, some schools and, um, a, a conference where I'm talking about what mental health professionals can better do to serve transgender clients. Um, And in that one specifically, I'm addressing people who work with transgender teens in therapeutic boarding schools or other treatment centers like the one that I was in Mm -hmm. to explain to them what happened to me, what my experience was, and also stress the importance of doing better and doing better now, not waiting for society to be ready, not waiting for parents to be ready not waiting for a tr- not waiting for a disaster not waiting for a trans kid to kill themselves on mm-hmm. you know school grounds before they start taking this seriously it is urgent and it is pressing that the world starts adjusting but especially people that are in charge of supporting a t- child's m- mental health yeah um and in my blog, I also like address a lot like the intersections between working in coffee and trans identity because tra- coffee spaces, especially up in the Northeast, tend to be mm-hmm. a little more accepting and affirming. Um, and the New York City coffee community is one of the more diverse ones. Like, there's a lot of trans people who work in coffee around here. There's a lot of a lot of diversity in all sorts of aspects, at least within the past few years. Obviously, there's still the cis white coffee bros. Yeah. Um, but in New York City, you have a lot less of that than in other places, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really incredible. Um, and being able to be an advocate within my workplace and within the coffee community has also been an incredible space to be in because, like, I find that people are actually listening to me, and I think now mm-hmm. is the time for trans voices to start making noise and reminding people that we're here and reminding people what we need and what we expect from them to feel validated and supported and affirmed. Um, And that's kind of what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to bridge that gap between cisgender people who don't understand, have never met a trans person that they know of before, have never been friends with a trans person that they know of before, and trans people who are just trying to tell our stories and trying to be respected and supported by the cisgender people in our lives. Um, yeah. We definitely have that in common. Yeah. A little bit of I want to change the world inside us. Yeah. 
Um, and it's hard. I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional labor. It is. And the more emotional labor you, sh- you know, we show that we're willing to do, the more people expect from us. Mm-hmm. even in the times that we're not able to do it. Yeah. So even when I'm tired and even when I don't have the energy to educate someone, I'm still now expected to, which is, mm-hmm. you know, great that people want to learn, but also there's so much information out there and I can't always be the one to give it, mm-hmm. even if I would like to be. Yeah. Well... It's been great talking to you. You too. Uh, Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Ariel R. Gordon. So that's A-R-I-E-L-L-E-R-G-O-R-D-O-N. I'm on Facebook. You can follow Trans and Caffeinated. And you can go to transandcaffeinated.com. That is my blog where I'm going to be posting uh, recordings of my speeches, at least some of them, Um, a lot of the writing I do, uh, some of the podcasts that I do will also be on there. I'm also opening a web shop soon where I'm going to be giving up space for trans people to sell at first uh, prints of their art and then later on opening it up to other types of artwork um, to help trans people sell that representation that I wish that I had as a kid. Yeah. All right. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to get in contact with me to help support or to share your story, or if you have questions, you can get in touch with me at Transactions Podcast on Instagram, Transactions Podcast at gmail.com or on Facebook, or my personal Instagram, Weaverin, W H E V Y R N. All right, that's it. I hope everyone has a great day. Bye.